I guess what I should say is breaking news or this is breaking news. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. For most of my podcast, for all of my podcast, I've been going back and reliving the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and even some of my childhood. But now I feel it's necessary to come on with breaking news, and that is the passing of my father, Alan. Unfortunately, my dad passed away about a month ago. My dad was 89 years old. He had an incredible life, and we will miss him. As I've talked about in my podcast before, my relationship with my dad was complicated. And, you know, that that part of my life, my relationship with my dad, it was always tough to talk about because we really struggled. I struggled to connect with my dad sometimes. And we had conflicts about different things in my life, as did my brothers with with my dad does that mean that my dad was not a good father um i wouldn't say that i would say it's just part of the struggle that people have that families have with relationships within the family and i'll get more into that but the one thing i can say is that when my dad passed away he knew that i loved him He knew that my brothers loved him, and we knew that he loved us. And I think, if anything, at the end of someone's life, especially a parent, I mean, you only have two parents, I think that in the end, that was the best thing. So, my dad. My dad was born to Annie and Edward Stevens, my grandparents, in the 1930s. They were a farm family. As you know, we grew up on a big dairy farm in New Hampshire. And he was born into that family as the youngest of four. He had a brother and two sisters, um, who all of them, you know, I grew up with. We, you know, we had this big, this big farm. Everybody that worked on the farm lived there. So my dad, being the youngest, was born into this as the baby. And from all accounts that I can remember, my grandmother just glowed when she talked about him. He was a cute kid. He was a handsome man when he grew up. And my grandmother, who was the matriarch of our family, just adored him. As far as I know, my grandfather did too. I think my grandfather was very proud of my dad. My dad and... His brother, my uncle Lawrence, they took over the family farm. And when my dad uh, retired, basically at 53, they had sold the farm and that's how he was able to retire. But anyway, my dad, you know, he grew up on this farm, you know, exploring the woods, the fields, working hard. I mean, if you grew up on a farm, you know that you had to work since you were probably six years old. For my dad, it was probably probably even younger. But he grew up with good roots. Uh, Both my grandparents were very well known. They were active in local politics, local education. My grandmother even took on the, the, um, the ecology of the planet, environmental issues, challenging Dow chemicals for polluting. And this was back before anybody really did that. She was a she wrote newspapers and and complained about how they were destroying the environment. She was a big educator too. She was big into education and helping women. She, really a remarkable woman. And my dad, my grandfather on the other hand did the same thor- sort of things locally, being involved in local politics. For my dad, he grew up and you know, really enjoyed his life growing up as far as I can tell. All the pictures of him when he was a kid, he was always with a cat. And I think that's really funny because my my youngest brother, Mike, and and myself, we both love cats. And there's tons of pictures of us with cats too. And still to this day, we have cats. 
So it's kind of ironic that my dad was really into that because I didn't remember that so much, you know, when I was growing up that he was, that he was like super close to cats or anything like that. But, but it's something he obviously passed down to my brother and I, my dad's life as a kid revolved around working you know, all those work ethics that I learned, I'm pretty sure he learned from my grandfather, uh, working nonstop, spending some days, you know, in the summer, maybe getting away to the beach, um, going to school and basically farm life. That's what, that's what they did. So here's my dad now in his, you know, his early years, his childhood, growing up in this, you know, really, really cool family, um, who are, you know, our family is, they're some of the founders of New England. And I'm sure that was a lot of pressure on my dad and his siblings to do well, and also to be, you know, upstanding citizens. I'm sure that was hard for him. It, it, you know, when I think back on it, I mean, we, you know, when I was a kid, I did a lot of stuff. I don't think my dad did. I think he was pretty straight laced. Um, not that I think my grandparents were super strict, but I think that they, they had that, you know, that kind of pressure to, to do good. Um, my grandmother was, you know, again, very active in the community, as was my grandfather. So I'm sure that they had a reputation to uphold. It was something that I remember my grandmother talking to me about, about doing good things and, and, you know, putting a good, you know, a good foot forward, a good face forward. And I'm sure my dad was like that too. So he spent most of his childhood on the farm, did well in school, uh, played sports, and he also met my mom at a pretty young age. He, I think my dad was like 21. So at this point, my dad had been through high school, been through college, and also served in the army, which is something he didn't talk a lot about serving the army, but I had seen pictures and he had medals and stuff like that, but he didn't talk about it a lot. And it's not that my dad, I don't think my dad saw a lot of combat, but um, he just didn't talk about it a lot. He talked about going to like Germany and I think he'd been to England, um, but he didn't talk about it a lot. But anyway, he meets my mom who, my mom was just gorgeous. Uh, they both were just such an attractive couple. I, I still crack up. I look at their wedding picture. My mom's 17 years old and I just think, oh my God, you know, who gets married at 17? Well, back then they did, but she, you know, they're in this, in this car. It's a, it's a black and white photo of them and they look like movie stars. I always thought they looked like movie stars and my mom still to this day, you know, she's in her eighties and she looks phenomenal. And my dad, until he had his stroke at 80, he looked great and he was totally active. You couldn't, my dad, you could not keep him down. Um, but anyway, they get married and I'm sure it was, it was tough. I think about it now. So here's my mom. My mom lived in, uh, Exeter, which is a small New Hampshire town, but it's bigger than the town that my dad grew up in. Um, it's, you know, much bigger. So my mom moved basically from the city or the town to kind of the farm because our farm was two miles in between both of these towns. So she, you know, she moved out onto this farm. I'm sure it was, I'm, I don't know how my mom did it, honestly, but she did. I'm sure that, you know, she was in love with my dad and, and she was, I'm sure she was in a lot of ways happy to move out there, you know, cause she was with this, you know, this man that she was in love with and they started to have children. And the first was my older brother, Gary, three years later myself. And then about six or seven years later, God, I should know the exact date. I feel so bad, but, um, my little brother, Michael, and in between them, my mom, um, 
had a stillborn child that would have been a daughter. So, you know, they start having kids and my dad's still working on the farm full time. I remember thinking that my dad worked 24 seven because it just seemed like he did. And in a lot of ways on a farm, you do kind of work those kind of hours, but he worked and worked. Um, when he was home, he was watching the Red Sox, which I thought when I was a kid, the Red Sox played all year round because they were always on. Or, you know, the Boston Bruins or the Boston Celtics or the Patriots. There's He was always watching sports. It was a cool thing. He also played sports. He coached Little League softball. Everybody wanted to play for him, of course, because he was, you know, he was so cool and charismatic. My dad was not, a, you know, he was, I would say he was a man of few words. Um, again, he he was talkative, but he held in a lot of things. And I think that would set him up in some ways. It would, it would be detrimental to his relationship with me. But again, I don't hold him. I don't hold anything against him for that. That's just the way that he was. Probably the most remembered period for me or the time period I remember most about my dad, you know, was the seventies and eighties. Um, more so the seventies. Cause I was still home. Um, I hadn't left yet. Those were my teenage years. And it's probably the years I remember about him the most. As I've said, I think a million times I grew up on this big farm. I worked on the farm my whole family worked on the farm. It was a, you know, it was truly a family operation. So it was run by my dad and his brother, my uncle. My and while my grandfather was alive, also my grandfather. It was truly a family operation. We also had all my cousins that worked on the farm that basically tormented me most of my childhood. I survived it, and I've talked about it before. Um but that is part of my dad's story with me. And when I talked about my dad being a, a man of few words, it, it was like that with him. Maybe it was like that for a generation of men. Maybe guys just didn't communicate the, the way that they do now. I mean, hopefully they do now. But that's kind of the way it was. I remember a lot of you know interesting things happening when I was a teenager, one was that my dad would, um, you know, when I was really young and I may have talked about this before. So if I did, I apologize. But like, I remember like a, a few things. One, my dad had this like, um, little league team that he coached. And I remember wanting to be on the team and I think I did play for the team and I, you know, it's really funny. I think I popped up a lot. I think I, you know, as I don't think I played that much, maybe a few times, but I popped up and I wasn't a very good baseball player. I preferred like individual sports, um, you know, tennis, running, hiking, skiing, you know, those were big things for me. I don't know if that disappointed my dad. Cause my dad was really into, you know, he, I think he wanted all of us kids to play sports. So I don't know if he was disappointed in that or not, but you know, he helped me with other things. I remember one time uh, I wanted a bicycle. I wanted a, a brand new 10 speed bicycle. I was actually too old for a three speed, but he got me a three speed, a really nice one. It was expensive. It was probably all my parents could afford. And, you know, he brought it home and he was so excited and I just rejected it. I was like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I cannot ride a three-speed bike anymore my dad's intention was great I just I don't think my dad realized that you know that that was the case I also think that for me the one of the reasons I wanted a 10-speed bike is I wanted a bike that I could get away faster I could you know go be with the friends that I've met down the street and get away from the farm as much as I loved the farm and the animals, I hated working with my cousins. They were just brutal. So, 
I think that was tough for my dad. And my dad ended up buying me a really nice 10 speed bike. I mean, I appreciated it, but I wonder, you know, I never talked to him about it, but I wonder how he felt about that incident. I remember asking my mom about it and she said, you know, well, we just couldn't afford to get, you know, the expensive bike that you wanted. So that, you know, he probably thought I was, you know, acting like a spoiled brat and maybe, you know, in some way I was. The other thing was just that, you know, my dad living in this town, you know, living in this area, it's a small area and he was, you know, he, he was a, a good looking guy. I think he got married really young and I remember hearing about stories from people about him, you know, just, you know, kind of being a man about town. And later, you know, I read in some journals that my mom wrote where she would say, you know, Alan out for the night. And, you know, I give my mom a lot of credit because I think she stayed with my dad at that point because she was trying to do the best thing for us kids. And she probably, you know, that's probably just what she had to do. And I give her a lot of credit for doing that for my dad. You know, do I, did I hate him for that? Um, I didn't hate him for that. I, I really, I think as a teenager, when we were going through that, I just didn't know, you, you really don't know any different. So I, I think I just thought that it was my dad being my dad. And through the seventies, it kind of went like that. I remember my cousins used to tease me and say that my dad was having an affair and you know, that's scandalous in a small town. And it also really hurt my feelings. And I remember asking my dad one time, I got upset and I asked him and he said, you know, absolutely not. But that wasn't the case. One of the things I found out, you know, through those interactions where, you know, people would say things about my dad, um, was that a lot of it, you know, unfortunately a lot of it was true. Um, but also that's, you know, that's part of living in a small town, even living in a big town that happens. It's all about your circle of friends and family and acquaintances is that there's a lot of gossip. But one of the things that I noticed about my dad was that when I was probably, I don't know how old I was, but I know I've talked to my brothers, my brother brothers remember this too, is at some point my dad checked out. I don't, I use the term checked out. I don't mean that my dad didn't provide for us. Um, I don't mean that he was mean to us or anything like that. He didn't disappear, but In some ways, he did disappear. He just kind of let us do what we wanted to do. And, of course, that came with restrictions. But it also meant that, you know, there's other things that maybe he should have been aware of that he wasn't. Some of these things were, you know, things that happened to me personally um, within my family um, as far as, you know, dealing with abusive people within my family. I think that he just didn't know, or, or maybe at that time he just looked the other way. Again, my dad provided for us. It's not like he bought that 10 speed bike when I asked for it, you know? And when I was, when I got my driver's license, he got me a car. I mean, I had to pay for it. Don't get me wrong. I had to pay for the car, but he got it for me and it was a really, really cool thing, but he just checked out kind of, you know, as far as communications went, there wasn't a big drive for, you know, for me to, you know, get better grades or to do better at school or to, or to, you know, expand my horizons and stuff like that. He just wasn't into that, but I didn't hate him for it. You know, I did. And I didn't even think, I didn't think badly about him for it. I just felt bad about when that was happening. I think that one of the things that happens when you're a kid is you just learn to get through things for better or worse. So I think that even though my dad, you know, maybe he did check out, maybe he checked out on all of us, but we were still taken care of. And my mom, of course, did an amazing job, you know, kind of filling in. 
but kids get through stuff. Kids are resilient. It's funny when I see people, you know, they'll freak out, you know, how they call people helicopter parents and stuff like that. And it's funny because I didn't really have helicopter parents and all of us kids survived really, really well. The issues that we've had in our lives, I think everybody has issues, at least from what I've seen and what I've talked to about other people. It's just how you get through those issues. And from my dad, I'd, you know, with me, I, you know, I don't know if he knew what to do with me. And I think I've actually said that before. He probably knew I was gay when I was a little kid. I'm, I'm 100% sure my mom did. But maybe they just didn't know what to do. And, and I don't blame them. If I was a parent back then, I don't know what I would do either. But as my dad continued on, eventually in my high school years, um, my dad was having an affair. And, it, you know, of course it was found out and it ended the marriage between my mom and dad. And ironically, they announced that they were going to get divorced in 1980 which is kind of crazy because, I mean, I think the affair started, you know, in like 73. So it's amazing they stayed together that long. But, you know, they were, they were good parents and they're just trying to do their best. But eventually, I remember I graduated from high school and I think right before I graduated, they told me they were going to get divorced. We all knew it. Um, I remember hear, hearing my mom and dad, you know, arguing in the bedroom. They didn't fight. They didn't scream and yell at each other. They were just arguing. And I felt so bad for my mom because I knew that, you know, I knew that this was so hard for her. So when they finally announced her getting divorced, I was actually relieved. Um, I couldn't believe my mom had lasted that long. And my mom deserved, you know, if it wasn't going to work out with my dad, she deserved to have a good life. So I was, I was proud that they finally had the chance to get divorced. So in 1980, at least that's when I remember they decided to get divorced. Um, and they did something really interesting. So, you know, a unique situation for my for my mom and dad is that they lived on this big farm, this big family farm. And so when they got separated and eventually divorced, they had, they had my mom move to a, the other side of our property, which is on another road. And they put a modular home. It was really nice, actually. I mean, it's a trailer, right? <laughs> but I don't know. Everybody calls it a modular home or prefab home. But they moved my mom over there, I moved with her, and my little brother went back and forth between the farm and this modular home over, you know, on this other road. Like, you could access it through, like, these trails or these little roads that went in between the two, the two properties. It was kind of funny. My little brother would buzz back and forth on a motorcycle. I didn't work on the farm anymore. I was, I was at that point, you know, starting to branch out in my life before, before I went to Colorado and my dad kind of took up his role as a single guy. And I remember the farmhouse that I had lived in, that I moved out of, it kind of became this bachelor pad. And I think my uncle lived there at one time. I don't know who else lived there, but I remember thinking it was like a bachelor pad, like something I'd seen on you know, a, I'm trying to think of a sitcom, you know, where it would be like that, but you know, you get the point. So at that point too, I mean, I really, my relationship with my dad really, you know, it kind of really became stretched out. And eventually, um, he would marry the woman that he was having an affair with. And that would be my stepmother. And he married her in 83 um, I think it was 83 continued on the farm. And then eventually the farm, which had been in our family forever, um, in the late eighties, uh, because of Reagan and what he did with the farming industry, it destroyed all the small farmers. So at the end of the eighties, early nineties, they decided to sell the farm. 
my dad went to my grandmother, told her that, you know, there was a deal to buy out the farm. I think my grandmother was like 99 years old at the time. And she agreed with my dad. My uncle agreed to it. And they sold the farm in the 90s, early 90s, like probably 1990. When they did that, that allowed my dad to retire at like 53 years old. So my dad retires. My mom now has moved to Oregon with, and she had met the love of her life. Um, my stepdad, Bill, who I, I've said this a million times, I adored that man. She moves to Oregon. She gives my little brother an option to move with her. But of course, my little brother, you know, my little brother was a teenager at this time and there's no way he was going to move. And, and I don't blame him. So he stayed. And my older brother, Gary, at this point, you know, he was married and, you know, and, and having children. So my dad continues, you know, and, and I've talked about before when I came out to my dad, he, you know, he had a hard time with it and we didn't talk for a while. And later we did, and we kind of, you know, we just figured out our differences and it got, it got a little bit better. So at that point, I'm talking about from the mid nineties on every time I would come back home to see my family, I would always go see my dad for like, you know, for an hour when I was home. Seems kind of crazy. And I think, you know, during some of that time, my mom was still in Oregon. When I'd go home, sometimes I'd see my dad, sometimes I wasn't. And I remember writing my dad letters all the time. Um, this was in the early 90s, also in the late 80s, and my dad would never respond to letters. And some of those letters were just, you know, I wondered why I didn't have a relationship with him the way that I felt like my brothers did. It really hurt me. But that would all change um, kind of as, as the 90s came to an end. My mom moved back, of course, to uh, New Hampshire with my stepdad. And my mom, who was really, really good about making sure that whenever I came home to New Hampshire, I saw my grandparents, my dad. I mean, she always made sure we did that. And I'm glad she did because what it did was it, it rekindled a relationship with my dad. So as I, you know, came out and had boyfriends, I would always take them home. And um, I know I've talked about this before. My mom would always do... A, you know, she'd always do a big lobster dinner and my dad and Mary Lou, Mary Lou is my stepmom. They would come over and it was great. I would always get to re, you know, to talk to my dad and, and to catch up on stuff. Now, my dad was always very surface, you know, he always wanted to know how my job was going, how my truck was running, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we talk about maybe the Broncos and, you know, I played, I played more sports later in life than I ever did as a kid. And we'd talk about that, but it was, at least we had dialogue and I saw my dad in a completely different light. And I realized that our parents are just doing the best job they can do. They're people just like we are. They're the, <laughs> if you think about it, they're the people that we're going to grow up to be. I mean, maybe not the same person, but you get what I'm saying. So it was great. I, I developed a better relationship with him than I probably ever had. I would introduce him to boyfriends. I don't think he really cared, <laughs> but he was never not, not, you know, he was always nice to them. And so that kind of went on for a long time. That same pattern as I'd go home and, and when I was home, my mom's like, well, let's go see your dad. And, and we'd go over and see him. Um, and then, it, you know, it just kind of went on and on. My dad had all these projects in the meantime. He helped build an ice cream place. Uh, they built like an ice cream restaurant or stand um, where the old farm used to be. They built it within the, the barn and he had a great time with it. He met one of his best friends that as far as I know, as far as I can tell, has always been one of his best friends. And his name is Wally. He's this cool guy that lives in Vermont now. And their lives just kind of continued like that. And 
you know, it was, it was pretty good. And, and I think in all, you know, we all kind of got along and we, you know, we weren't, we're not a big fighting family anyway, but what ends up happening is about 10 years ago, um, my dad had a stroke and so he was home and has a stroke. My stepmom calls an ambulance. They get to him in pretty good time, but they take him to Mass General and the stroke is bad. I mean, it, it really knocked him out. I flew back to Denver. He's in the hospital in Mass General. The Boston Marathon bombing happens. So it's just chaos in the hospital. Here's my dad laid out in bed. I had never seen my dad laid out like that before. My dad was an active guy, played golf, always on the move. It kind of reminds me of, of me and, and my brothers, always on the move. And I walk into this hospital room. It seemed like a, when I think about it now, it seemed like this giant room with just him laying in it. And I, and you know, you go through all these weird emotions. I'd never seen my dad laid out like that before. He looked old. He looked, you know, he looked dead and I saw his feet and like his toenails looked bad, which I know that sounds weird, but I mean, you know, you never know when you're going to have a heart attack, right? You never know when you're going to end up in the hospital. He probably just hadn't done his nails, but I just, I don't know. It's one of those weird things I remembered. He's laying there and he kind of, you know, kind of woke up a little bit and, you know, my, my brother, my older brother was there. I was there. I think my little brother was there too, but I remember him motioning for somebody to get him a gun so he could just kill himself. He didn't want to live like that. And I, I can't imagine what it felt like for him to be in that situation. The doctors that we talked to were not optimistic. They, you know, they, they really didn't think he would survive it. Uh, it was similar to when my grandfather, um, he had a heart attack, you know, when we were kids. And it was similar to that where they said, they said that my grandfather probably wouldn't get out of the hospital. With my dad, uh, well, with my grandfather, he did get out of the hospital and he, and he ended up dying at the farm. With my dad, he had to go into rehab, physical therapy. I mean, all this stuff. It was torturous for him, but my dad is tough as nails. He does it. He gets out of the hospital. He goes home eventually. I don't remember how long it took. It might've taken him a year before he ever got back to the house, but he did. So my dad does go back and he goes back to his home in New Hampshire. And basically for the next nine years, he has my stepmom taking care of her, him. And I, you know, I, I wasn't super close to my stepmom. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I just wasn't super close to her. Um, and I really don't know why I just wasn't maybe because she had had an affair with my dad and I knew that that hurt my mom. Maybe it could have been from a lot of different reasons, but I never, you know, I just never really warmed up to her. I was always nice to her. She was always nice to me, but either way, I cannot not thank her for taking care of him. He was a lot of work. He was paralyzed on one side of his body. He, you know, he really couldn't do anything without help. And she took care of him all those years. Um, it also changed our relationship in a really unique way because when I would go over to see him, you know, maybe because he was so limited in what he could do, he really loved having me come see him. And I loved seeing him. I liked talking to him, even though it was hard to understand him because he mumbled and my dad mumbled. He mumbled before the stroke. And to this day, my mom says that my brother and I do the same thing. I don't think we really do it that bad, but I'm sure we do. Anyway, he mumbled even worse. So it was hard to understand him. But every time I went home, I would go over there with my mom or with my brother and we would spend, 
you know, easily an hour every time I was home, just talking, catching up on stuff. And it was great. Every year he would have a different issue. You know, there's a lot of issues from, you know, from having a stroke, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And he had all of them, um, urinary tract infections, you know, just all kinds of stuff, all kinds of issues. And sometimes he would say, I don't think I'm going to make it, or I wish I hadn't made it, but he did. And he wanted to die in that house. That was his big thing. So in the last couple of years, he got, these issues became worse. And at one point, we thought he was going to have to stay in a care facility, but he did not want to stay in a care facility. And so somehow he muscled through that where he just, you know, something would come up, he'd go into the hospital, he'd get out and he'd go back home and he would recover. In the last year of his life, one thing that I haven't talked about because it hasn't happened yet in my podcast history is that, you know, the world would be completely changed because of COVID-19, which was this, still is this virus that, you know, it's, it's killed almost a million people in the United States in just two years. And it's, it was, it's just horrible. It changed everything. Well, my dad, you know, who would totally be at risk for this, he seemed to avoid it. He got the vaccine and he seemed to avoid the virus, but that didn't, you know, those, even if he got it, that wouldn't be his only issue, but it could be very serious because it, it, it's just such a horrible, you know, thing. So late in the year, um, late in last year, he gets really sick and he ends up getting COVID-19 pneumonia and MRSA. All three of these things for most people, his age at this point, he's 89 years old. Most people, his age, this would kill them immediately. Like they would not make it out of the hospital, but for my dad, somehow he gets out of the hospital and it just, it's timing at this particular time. My older brother was trying to get his estate straightened out, trying to get his will straightened out, trying to get his care straightened out because he's becoming, you know, pretty sick to where my, my stepmom is not going to be able to take care of him. And she's already starting to have problems in the last half of last year, she was already having problems taking care of him herself. And that's because she was having problems too. We just didn't know it at the time. So he gets COVID, gets MRSA, gets pneumonia, gets out of the hospital and he's home. And that's when everything kind of changes. At this point, with my dad being so sick and now back home, but us all wondering, can he actually stay at home? Who's going to take care of him? My stepmom now is having a lot of issues taking care of him. She just, for one thing, it's probably more than most people could handle not being an actual nurse. And she was not a nurse. So my older brother, he had decided to come home to work to help work with my dad on becoming executor of my dad's estate. This, this was something that my dad requested and something my brother really wanted to make sure he did because with a divorced family and, and stepkids and all this other stuff, it can be tough. So he's headed to New Hampshire. I'm headed to New Hampshire. I was in Florida working and I head back to New Hampshire And I figured, you know, I'll help my brother with this process. So we get to New Hampshire. I come down with some flu thing that I pick up in Florida, which at first I thought was COVID, but it wasn't. And so I can't even go over there. The other thing is that because he has COVID and all these other things, nobody else can actually go there either. I mean, we have to wear a mask and, you know, wear all these protective clothing and stuff because not only... You know, not only would we be a risk to him, but he would be a risk to us too. It's just, it's very complicated. 
But somehow my brother, my brother is fucking amazing. He goes over there and does it. They do it part via Skype and all this other stuff, Zoom, and somehow they get it done and my dad gets through it. But my brother told me, he said, you know, wow, dad looks, he looks really bad. And, you know, I just seen my dad, not maybe a couple months before that. And he actually looked pretty good, but you know, with COVID, it just, just knocked him out. And so I go, you know, I go back to Colorado and my brother says, I'm going to go back again this weekend. I think you should go because it looks bad. I mean, everything changed very quickly. And so I turned around, came right back out and I'll never forget going over to see him. And I walked in the door and he looked like a different person. He just, you know, he looked so different than the last time I saw him. And you could just tell that, you know, that this was bad. So one of the reasons we went that weekend is we didn't know, you know, we were, from what nurses were telling us, they were like, it doesn't look good. Um, we just wanted to make sure we saw him. So we spent, you know, that first weekend kind of just seeing him, you know, for a few hours during the day. And then, uh, you know, on Sunday I went back to Colorado. My brother went back home and my brother called me on Tuesday and he goes, I'm going to go back again this weekend. And you know, my brother's cool. And he said, he goes, you don't have to, but this, you know, this, this might be it. And remember, this is my dad. My dad's fought death every step along the way, but I decided I'm like, yeah, we should go back. So we go back and it gave us this really cool opportunity to kind of hang out with him. Uh, and my little brother came over, which was just phenomenal. And my older brother, my mom, all these people came by and people would stop by to see him. And, and we told him stories and my brother, um, he read things that he had wrote about my dad because my dad my brother's a really good writer and he'd written these stories about like farm life and and about like there's one just about my dad and it was incredible oh my god it was incredible so excuse me so my dad um he just he would listen and he would you know he couldn't really talk that much but he would you know make hand motions and sometimes he would say things but it was just this amazing moment this weekend where we could just tell him that it was okay to go and that we could tell him that we loved him and, you know, tell stories and just, it was cool. It And to have my little brother there, um, it brought us all closer together, especially with my little brother. It just brought us closer together and we got to spend these, you know, these two amazing weekends with him. And then I went back to Colorado and when I get back to Colorado, again, it's just funny with my, with my brother Gary. Cause like, he can read me. He's like, I'm going back again this weekend. And he's like, again, he's like, you don't have to. And he goes, you know, you got your closure. You got to say goodbye and, you know, I said, no, I'm going back too. And it's, it's just funny because I flew out of Denver and stopped in Baltimore and my brother, uh, and, and his girlfriend, they live in, in Annapolis. And so they fly out of Baltimore into New Hampshire. And so sure enough, we're on, like, I stop, I meet them there. They're on the same flight that goes into New Hampshire. And it just, it was so cool. So this time we get back and we go to see my dad and now he's gotten much worse. He, there's nothing left of him. Um, he hasn't eat, eaten anything solid for two weeks, two to three weeks. He's really not drinking. And at this point we have a nurse that's in there all the time. And then also a hospice nurse. And we get to talk to the hospice nurse and just talk about what's going on. If you've never been through hospice or 
been through that situation. Hospice is the most incredible gift ever. So they kind of laid out what was going to happen with my dad. And we had talked to my dad about, you know, what would happen? Did he want to be cremated? Um, you know, where would he be buried? Things like that. My dad, you know, in those final days, the only thing that was really, it was kind of revealing, but we still don't know what the answer to this is, is that when, whenever we'd bring up my grandfather's name, he would get upset. And we still don't know what that is, but he would get upset. It was one of these family mysteries that he took to his, you know, to his grave, but we, we still don't know. But in any case, he decided to be cremated and get a headstone and be buried in this cemetery that our family goes back to the 1600s in, but it's not the same cemetery that his mom and dad were buried in. For whatever reason, that's where he wanted to be buried. So we determined that. Um, we would sit with my dad during the day. Sometimes at this point, he's really, you know, he's really out of it. He, we'd go over and we'd hold his hand and he'd squeeze it, but he couldn't really talk. He would call for his mother. And he would um, sleep and then, you know, not sleep. Also at this time, my stepmother has been diagnosed with advanced Alzheimer's and dementia. And unfortunately, during the last part of my dad's life, she had to be removed from the home and put into a care facility. It's this weird thing because you know, on one hand, she won't remember this, you know, she like, she's still alive, but she won't remember a lot of this. On the other hand, it's sad that she won't be able to do that. I don't know. It's a weird, I've tried to normalize my way of thinking about it and I just can't, but my dad gives us a few things that, you know, he wanted us to have before we left the house. And we did that. Um, and we leave and, uh, you know, we figured, I figured I'm like, when I said goodbye to him, I knew that would be the last time this time. So we left. I went to work, um, in New Orleans. I had a job there and about, you know, four days after we left, he passed away and it was so cool when he passed away, he was with his step granddaughter and who was just wonderful and his cat that was always with him. His cat jumped up on the bed and he petted the cat. The cat licked his hand and the cat jumped off the bed and he died a few minutes later. It was just such a, you know, such a cool thing. But that was the end of my dad's life. So Sorry, I had to stop there. It was very emotional. It was the end of my dad's life and the end of an era, the end of a generation. He was the youngest of my grandmother and grandfather's kids. And so that was kind of it. The finality of it was, um, I don't know, shocking, I guess. Not shocking, maybe, but, you know, I don't know, just a weird feeling. I had never lost... I mean, you know, my, I never lost a parent like that before my stepdad, when he passed away and I, I loved my stepdad so much. It hurt too. Um, that was especially painful. My dad, was a different kind of pain. I don't know how to describe it. When this happens, you have all these crazy ranges of emotion and I'm definitely still going through that. There's a lot of things that I regret, you know. Um, well, I don't know if I'd say I regret them. I think there's a lot of things that I wish I had told my dad. Even though in the end of his life, in those last few weeks that we got to spend with him, I pretty much said everything I needed to say. I think my dad, I think he left knowing that his kids loved him, which is probably what, you know, what any parent would want. So 
I think he went in peace. I really do. For for us, for you know, for his three sons, the greatest gift he gave us was that in the end, it brought his death brought us back together as a unit. It's not that it's not that my little brother and I didn't love each other and that, you know, that I didn't totally respect him. It's just that we didn't, I didn't have the kind of relationship with him that I had with my older brother. Some of that's because of our age. I'm three years from, from my older brother, but like six years from my little brother. So some of it was age and logistics and all that stuff. But in those last few weeks, it was just like we were kids again. We just kind of came back together and, and it's the coolest thing because now, you know, now I have this, you know, another brother that's also a friend in my life. And, you know, that's something you can't really, you can't beat that. So it was a cool thing. It's going to take a while to get over my dad's death. I realize that, but it helps to be able to talk about it. It helps to be surrounded by people that are supportive. One of the, you know, one of the really cool things that happened was so many friends and colleagues of mine um, made donations in memory of my dad to different foundations. I thought that was so cool. Um, So that, you know, the outreach after his death was really, it was really cool. For my stepmom, she is in a full-time care facility for Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, so, you know, supposedly they have told her that my dad passed away, but she only remembers that for a short period of time. And then she thinks that he's, you know, that he's still, I guess, you know, in the house or, or still alive or something. I mean, I, I don't know what she's going through. So that part of it is, is I think is really sad. But in the end, I think that we all have these parents that we, you know, that we really put up on pedestals and, and really think highly of. And for good reason, I think that they do the best job they can do. I love my parents for that. Everyone's going to have different relationships with their parents. That's just the way it is in life. I'm glad that I had the relationship I have with my dad was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect. But, you know, whose is? So, I, you know, and I, like I said, in the end, I am glad that I had him as a dad. So, that is my breaking news. I'm sorry if I got really emotional towards the end of it, but I think it's understandable.